everybody man i could not stop listening to that track i love that track uh makes me miss that guy eric morello what a what an awesome dj man i mean he was doing that i mean god for years i i I think he won like best international dj like five years in a row with like something like 15 or 16 nominations i mean i know he won in i know he won best house dj in 98 I think 2001 and 2003. And then he was best international DJ, I know, in 02, 06, and 09. Uh, It's a shame. We lost him on September 1st, 2020. He passed away. Uh, I was privileged and honored uh, to not only see him a bunch of times. I mean, I saw him at house parties. I saw him in Miami, saw him in Chicago, numerous times in Detroit, uh, at Movement uh, or the Electronic Music Festival, whatever they called it. It used to be called DEMPF, the Detroit Electronic Music Festival. And uh, and then we lost him. He, he Unfortunately, he passed away. But very, very humbling dude uh, or humbled guy. Great guy. Nice to talk to. Polite party man. If, if when you think of house music, you think of him. But anyway, hey, welcome to the Life of an Average Joe podcast. I'm Brandon Avera. Obviously, if you don't know by now, then well, shame on you. Um, and it is uh, a beautiful day here. I hope it's beautiful whenever you guys decide to listen to this. But it's beautiful right now. I'm recording it, and uh, I just wanted to say thank you again for your support and for hanging out with us um, here at the Life of an Average Joe podcast. Been super busy, uh, getting a lot of a lot of work done, a lot of ideas as we wrap up this season here. Take a little bit of a break and focus on next season, which is appropriate considering spring just started. Uh, obviously, my allergies, because I live in Texas, are at full-blown effect, so you're going to have to bear with me. I'll be drinking a lot of water today, like right now, for this water break. There you go. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but I kind of wanted to touch base with you guys. And, and, you know, you've heard me talk about Miami. You've heard me talk about the electronic music scene. And, and you've heard me talk about all those things. So I kind of wanted to tie it together and really just talk about my trips to Miami. The Winter Music Conference, as you will, which is really what got me to Miami in the first place. You know, I've always thought about going to Miami. Um, you know, when I was younger, you see it on TV. You see it in movies and, and stuff like that course my younger days my first experience with Miami was Miami Vice so I should tell you how old I am but it was always cool you know girls in bikinis sun beach party everybody was dressed good fast cars I mean perfect weather you know they really they really made it like a paradise and and look in some aspects Miami is a paradise Uh, in other aspects it's, it's it's not it's expensive there's a lot of crime not every area of Miami is good. 
Uh, if you don't believe me, uh, just pay attention to this where uh, to this to this warehouse. What the hell am I talking about? To this podcast, and and you'll see. But when you're in the the club scene, as I was back in Michigan uh, for a long time, uh, not only working it, but visiting and and being a patron and working with DJs and knowing DJs. You know, being immersed in the electronic music scene, Miami comes up a lot. Okay, because Miami is a huge, huge, obviously electronic music mecca, so to speak. When you think of electronic music, not just the history of it, and not just, you know, the DJs and all that and the different clubs, you think about where are the places you go when you just want to experience techno. Miami, Ibiza overseas in England and Europe. And then you get down to the to the roots of it where it was in Detroit, New York, Chicago, LA. Those are hubs. Those are electronic music. You can go anywhere. Even Canada has great electronic music. Um, but Miami is is the big one. You know, and it really is the perfect setting for it. You got clubs that stay open till 6 a.m. I don't know if they do that anymore. I imagine they do. You've got the all-night after parties. You've got the beaches, hotels with massive, massive pool areas. I mean, Miami is huge, which is why the Winter Music Conference, which started in 1985, is held annually in Miami Beach, Florida, every year. It's about 100,000 people estimated, give or take. And the very first Winter Music Conference started February 1986 at the Fort Lauderdale Marriott. They had 80 dance, basically 80 dance music industry insiders in attendance. 80 of them, okay? Now, since it started in 1986, they have moved down further south across Miami Beach and downtown Miami, and it was in March. It wasn't necessarily in February, okay? It started on March 13th is when they decided to make it the big day. So you kind of at some time got connected with spring break, if it was a little earlier in some parts of the woods or some parts of the country, but other times it just kind of took place on its own. And it became the Ultra Beach Music Festival or the Ultra Music Festival. So you had the WMC, which was the Winter Music Conference, and then the Ultra Beach Music Festival. Now, I'm not gonna get into the differences because they're essentially one, but they did take place at separate occasions or separate different times. They merged, then they separated, but they were all still part of the WMC Ultra Music Festival, okay? The big deal, huge. Now you're talking about major, major DJs, producers, vendors, uh, production team. I mean, club promoters, clubs, bartenders, everybody converged on Miami Beach for this music conference. So when you're involved like I was with the electronic music scene, working at the clubs, DJing myself, sooner or later you either know about what's going on in Miami or you go there, maybe permanently. Now, Obviously I didn't go there permanently. That was never something that I thought about. Not to say it couldn't have happened in my life. I mean, anything could happen. But when I went to Miami or when I first heard about WMC, I was dating this girl, we'll just call her Miss Detroit. I'm sure that name alone will probably give it away to most of you that know me. To the ones that don't know me, well, that's just what I'm going to say. 
Mostly because I don't feel like, from what I'm finding out, getting sued. <laughs> unless, unless I have her on the show. Uh, which I doubt it. She's in LA now, I think. Um, but we were working together. She was a dancer, not a stripper. Um, and she was heavily involved in electronic music. Actually, she was very smart when it came to electronic music. When we talked about matching beats and putting beats together and we talked about producing, she was very smart, very creative. She designed her own costume. She was artistic. Um, she, you know, she painted, she drew, she did hair. Not really, probably everything that I, that I liked in a, in, a, in a woman, which is, I guess, why I married the opposite and maybe that's what happened. But um, anywho, uh, great girl. And we worked together and she was telling me one day, hey, look, we got to go down to WMC. Now, I had heard it because I'm not an idiot, but it just didn't register. And I was like, WMC? She's like, Winter Music Conference, Miami. I'm like, all right, say no more. You want to go to Miami? We can go to Miami. So we started to look at it from the perspective of, let's go down there as just guests, as fans, as just travelers, tourists. Let's go party. Let's go experience everything. And then maybe the next year, if we want to get involved, we can get involved. Like most things in my life, that, that evolved and changed. <laughs> so what happened was we started talking to vendors. We started getting comps. Hey, if you stay at this hotel, you can get this many nights for free. Um, if you register by now, we're going to give you these tickets at this price for this flight. And then if you register, you can come to this VIP party. And, and because I was working in the club, I always had the opportunity to get things for free with vendors. So I said to myself, why don't we go down representing who we are? The nightclub, my promotions company. Let's get down there and, 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 and represent. So we did. Well, when that happened and they found out that we were a vendor, technically a vendor or, a, or talent, we started getting all kinds of things emailed to us, mailed to us, VIP passes. I mean... Everything, as far as our stay, was comped the very first time. We never paid for anything. Food, we paid for, partly, and I'll get to that. Drinks, we would have to pay for, again, partly, and I'll get to that. Of course, Miss Detroit didn't drink. She didn't drink, she didn't do drugs. She stayed up all night with me, she partied with me, she danced all night. She didn't care if I drank, but she just didn't. Occasionally, and especially when we went to Miami, she'd have a couple but it was nothing. It was nothing like some of the people I've dated in my life or myself. So drinks to her, drink tickets didn't matter. They just got handed my way, which is a dangerous thing to do, especially in my younger years. Um, but we were, we, we got everything comped. We were staying at some of the best hotels in Miami for free because we were technically talent. So when we went there, when, when we decided to plan it, there's a very loosely planned ordeal and we stayed at the hotel the first time we get there and we decided we're gonna we're going to support promote one of the stages that's it so we had banners we had you know t-shirts tank tops um, wristbands just swag beach balls, all kinds of swag out there to just give away. We weren't, we weren't DJing. She was dancing, you know, like for fun, 
and then she would dance, you know, sometimes for whatever, um, you know, like just with the DJs, but it was, we were kind of just sitting back and watching. So the first time we went was kind of like a go down, feel the area out, check it out, see, see what everybody thinks or see what the area is and all that. And we stayed at the bestie. Now the bestie on South beach, it's like $500 a night. True story. If you look up the Bestie South Beach, it's about $500 a night. Now, I think it was called something else at the time. Don't quote me on that, but it's called the Betsy, okay? Am I saying, be- I said Bestie. Hey, well, it was my best friend, but no, the Betsy. Okay, so it's about, f- I think the lowest you can get is $500 a night, give or take. And that's just a, a one room, like king size bed, whatever. Now, when we got there, we had a room. This was unreal. Guys, I'm freaking out. We had the balcony room. Okay, the balcony room is, I think they called it the superior. It's a 250 square foot balcony rooms. That's it. Now, 250 is not, not a lot, okay? It's not a lot. It's not huge. But you got a great balcony. You got the king, king size bed. You've got the... Uh, the, the, the views that go 360, I mean, you're not spending much time in the hotel anyway, maybe at night, maybe in the morning, but you're out on the beach, you're out on South beach, you're out walking around, you're going eating, you're, you're going to the pool, you're going to the ocean, you're, you're watching all the music. So whatever the room was, didn't matter. Well, when we walked into this room for free, we had to sign the, you know, put a credit card down just in case there was incidentals back in the day though, cause this was back in the day you could put cash down. So I gave him like $200 cash. I think the minimum we had to do was 100. I put $200 cash down for incidentals. You got that back at the end of the night. Or not the end of the night, the end of the stay. If you didn't destroy the room or you didn't drink what was from the mini fridge, and who would? You got a mini bottle, I mean a one-shot bottle of Malibu for $18. I mean, I didn't touch the mini fridge. You got a Snickers bar for nine. You know, I go back, go buy a whole box of Snickers bars for $9, you know, but it was ridiculous. So, but this room, when we signed it was $539 a night. We were staying for four nights, four nights, five days. We didn't pay for it. Not one thing. And by the way, at the end of it, I got my money back. So we got down there early and right when we got to the hotel, we saw them setting up at different areas along the beach. We got the maps. We, you know, I mean, it was like, because we got there before the official kickoff day because they were having a big meet and greet. Like everybody was going in, talking to vendors behind the scenes, picking up more swag, more credentials, your drink tickets. I mean, you know, you're, you were doing press releases. So we went in, I mean, and this was top-notch, dressed up, Miami style. I'm talking bad boys. She looked phenomenal. She had her sundress on, you know, with the bikini uh, underneath, you know what I'm saying? I'm looking like, you know, Will Smith, except the short and the wrong color. Uh, I was in better shape back then, believe it or not, even though I was drinking more. But I, I tan really good, so that was exciting. And we go to this event, and it's the meet and greet. And we're down there at the meet and greet and everybody is there. I'm not, I mean, you got talent there. Bad Boy Bill, Richard Humpty Vision, Eric Murillo, 
um, Dara, AK-1200, all the big names, Paul Oakenfold, um, Moby, all the big names in electronic music at the time and the future was there. I say the future because there was a lot of young guys that weren't big that became big, you know, a couple years later. They're there, but you also got the producers, you got the owners there, you've got the record labels, you've got club promoters, you've got, I mean, guys from Ibiza, guys from England, Germany, they're there. Huge buffet, huge. And this isn't like, you know, Golden Corral crap, okay? We're talking massive seafood, massive crab, swordfish. I mean, stuff I don't eat, at all, believe it or not, but I tried because I was there. And all the drinks you want, they don't even take your drink tickets. Because you have the, the, the lanyard, you get whatever you want. My God. I mean, they were giving away cell phone cases. Now, this was before the iPhones and all that. So these were like snap-on cell phone cases for your flip phone or the razors. Or They didn't have the iPhone when we went down there the first time. Uh, it was, I think, the second time. But they're giving away chargers, headphones. I mean, nice headphones for the time being. CD recording, disc burners. Oh, they're just giving it to you. I mean, I walked away with so much swag that I didn't bring half of it back with me. I just gave it away because we kept on getting more stuff for the next four or five days. And it was like the red carpet premiere. You got your picture taken. They posted you. They posted you on the website, posted you on the MySpace page. Yes, this was MySpace. Facebook wasn't even thought of yet, um, or it was just coming around the corner, I should say. Again, I think it was the following year. <clears throat> and you got, your, you got your picture taken. They gave you a copy, um, demoed CDs. Then you got to go do little interviews. So they would have like internet radio, little clips for MySpace, little clips for the TV, or not TV, um, for the DVDs they were putting together. And we got to talk about what we were doing down there, what stage we were promoting, when our event was, where we were going. And I just winged it because I didn't know where I was going. I knew what I, I knew as far as the promotion goes. You know, I knew what stage we had. I knew what our pool party was. I knew what DJs we were going to have. But I didn't know anything about where we were going in Miami. I was just winging it, acting like I this was my home away from home. Sorry, I had to drink the water again. <clears throat> you know, is that old and is that old saying of fake it till you make it? And I was faking it till I made it. <clears throat> Man, my voice, these allergies are freaking killing me. Um, <clears throat> good Lord. But uh, anyway, so that's what we were doing. I mean, we're just going around in Miami, you know, going around on this red carpet, talking to different people, telling them, hey, look, we're going to be at this hotel. We're going to be at this. It was great. So that was our first night in. Now, again, that's the beginning of the night. Now, if you've never been to Miami before, much like Vegas, you don't go out early. This was an 8 o'clock event. I think we got there at 9.30. Eh, maybe not. Maybe we got there at 9. Because you do want to be late, but you didn't want to be super late to an event like this. So anyway, so we got there, did our thing, go back up to the hotel room, change, freshen up. It's time to hit the town. We're walking around, we're talking to people, and you can start to hear the beats. You can start to hear the pts, pts, pts. You can feel it. You can feel Miami come alive. It is gorgeous out. I mean, I think I wore more capri pants 
guy capri pants, if you can believe that, in Miami with my my shirt half unbuttoned. I mean, I tell you what, I was in the wrong I was in the wrong era. I needed to go back to like the 1950s or something in Miami or, or whatever, the 60s, early 60s, and just walk around and with a cigar and just feel like Scarface, you know? I mean, because I fell in love with it. I mean, first off, I'm wearing the, lo- the loosest clothes possible because it gets hot and sticky. And we know we're about to go dancing. And we know we're going to party all night. We're going to go step by the ocean to take a look. You don't want to be wearing tight shorts and things. I mean, not that I want to wear tight shorts anyway. That's embarrassing. But um, it was great. And we just walked around. I mean, I think we were both in awe because she had never been there before. And she had traveled a lot more than me. A lot more than me. But she had never been there before. So as we're walking down the beach, we start to notice. And this is where things get a little weird. And we kick into the music. Um, we start to notice different signs, you know, everywhere, you know, street signs, you know, alcohol signs, actually a sign on the street that had little cocktail, little, you know, drawings or I don't know, symbols of cocktails and it had arrows. And these weren't like somebody put them up and spray painted them and said bars this way. These were put up by the city. Cause again, like most cities, there's different districts, you know? And there's different parts. There's more. There's a more calm part of Miami, so to speak. And then there's a more touristy part of Miami. And then, of course, the Winter Music Conference has taken over. So you have this whole three, four blocks, maybe more, so to, uh, beach blocks, which are a little bit longer than city blocks, of techno. So we're noticing the signs, but I'm also noticing colors on these signs. Some of them were just colored differently. You know, one might be yellow. Okay, no big deal. Miami's a very colorful city. One might be green. Different things like that. But I would also notice little circles. Almost look like little dot stickers you have at a garage sale. They were on certain signs that didn't have color. Like, let's say we were walking a little too far and there'd be another street. There'd be a little dot circle color yellow. I didn't know what those was. So I, so I finally was like, I got to ask somebody. I asked a few people when I remembered it, but nobody knew. We went to a restaurant. I have no idea what the name of the restaurant is. We just wanted to get a, a little something to eat. More or less, we just want, I wanted a cocktail. We wanted a little something to eat, even though we just ate a buffet. And we wanted to just kind of sit and kind of plan out. We knew we, had a, we, we, knew we were going to have fun, but we knew we were about to party hard for the next four days with zero sleep. And we kind of wanted to plan out our evening. We were tired. We wanted to relax. We did do some dancing that night, but not much. We just wanted to hang out and just kind of soak it in. Because this was going to be one of the first, one of, one of the only nights, and not to say only moments, but one of the only nights that her and I were going to be like together, just the two of us without 100,000 people around us, literally. So we were hanging out talking, and I asked the waiter, and he said, oh, well, that's the, the crime code. I said to myself, crime code? And I know what a crime code is. When you go to travel to an area or you go to buy a house or rent an apartment, you can look up the statistics in any, in any city or neighborhood and it'll tell you. I mean, it's all public record. It'll tell you, you know, how many car break-ins or... When I was looking to move to Chicago, because that popped up a few times, I was looking at the crime areas. 
Of course, it's Chicago, so it's not hard to figure out, but you could break it down. You could break it down by apartment complex, you know, what they have there, what's been reported and all that. So I understood that, but I never, I've never seen it with a color code. So I said, you know, what is that? What do they mean? And he proceeded to tell me that they passed this law, and I don't know if it's still there in Miami. I should have looked it up before I did this podcast. They passed a law that they color-coded the crime areas. You know, yellow is safe. Very minimal crime. Green means no crime, which is impossible, but I guess it fell below the, the, the percentage. Purple. There was a red, which is funny. Red should mean don't go there. Red was a heavy crime, and I guess it was by like violent crime. And purple was don't go in the area, bad crime, gangs, such like that. And I think, and I'm not talking about the purple, purple gang here, but I think, if I remember correctly, it was based because one of the main territories of one of the gangs, their colors were purple. So they just, they did that. And if you saw purple, it was, you are in a dangerous area, get out, you don't belong there, that sort of thing. Now, obviously, where all the tourists are, there's always going to be crime. When you have 100,000 people down there, there's going to be crime no matter what. But typically, on an average day, this was not going to be a, a crime-ridden street. So I just knew we didn't need to go near purple. And purple was a no-no, so stay away from purple. Unfortunately, later on in that trip, some of us or me, wind it up in a purple area. But I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back. We're going to talk about the, the, the festival itself, DJing, falling in a pool, and what happens when Brandon almost gets lost, or does get lost, I should say, gets stuck in Miami. We'll be back in a few minutes. Hey, guys, welcome back. This is part two of Going to Miami, and my name is Brandon Navera. Uh, I am here. Uh, thank you uh, once again for checking into the Life of Average Joe podcast. And we're, we're talking about Miami. Now, if you missed the first part, you can go back and listen to it. Um, so you can kind of see how we got involved with the WMC, the Winter Music Conference, which is still one of the biggest electronic music festivals in the country. Talks about how we got there and, and, and what we were doing there in the hotel and all that. That's our recap. So go back and listen to that. And we're back for part two. Now, this is day two of my first time that we're in Miami. I'm first time I'm in Miami ever. And the first time I've ever been to the Winter Music Conference. So we're in part two here, day two, I should say. And we're getting ready to go hit the stage. Now, mind you, there are multiple stages, multiple clubs, multiple venues. It's a, it, it, you need a map just to figure out what's going on. And you better plan it. Because trying to get through over 100,000 people, if you don't know what you're doing, is ridiculous. Um, you're not going to happen. Now, we, we were not DJing. I was not DJing that day. And really, most of the time that I spent in Miami, I didn't DJ a whole lot. You got to remember, I, DJing was not my thing. I mean, I, I've, I've done it. I've, I've had some great parties and I've done, been good at it. And I enjoy it. But it's not what I was about. You know, I was, I was a nightclub manager. I was a promoter. I was, you know, event coordinator. That's, that's the type of stuff I was into. Not the DJing part. I would rather just listen to the music and, and rock out. You know what I mean? Um, but I was around a lot of DJs. So 
when I would watch them, you know, work or record, I, you know, I'd get involved with it when I could. Now, the stages there kind of went as follows, for the most part. They had the ultra stage, which was an open air stage, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It was on the beach. You got the beach as your dance floor. You got the ocean next to you. The hotel's on the other side. And you've got the ultra stage. Now, the ultra stage went all day and night. Now, in the morning, it wasn't really much of anything. It was later afternoon to the wee hours of the morning. And you'd have guys like Paul Oakenfold, Carl Cox, Tiesto, uh, BT, DJ Dan. I mean, Dimitri was there from Amsterdam. It was the first time that Dimitri ever played the Winter Music Conference on the ultra stage from Amsterdam. Side note, Dimitri's a cool dude. Um, we got really drunk and fell asleep on a at the pool in one of the lounge chairs. Not the same chair, but yeah, it, it was awesome. Actually, he's completely sober now. Uh, he's been sober for years. I, I haven't heard anything from him. I don't listen to a lot of those guys anymore. A lot of those guys quit. I mean, they're old. I'm old. But um, uh, then they had the drum and bass arena. Now, the drum and bass arena was for what, what I was really into. That's your hard-hitting guys. I mean, we're talking fat beats, heavy beats, drum and bass, AK-1200, Diesel Boy, Dara, just hardcore stuff. They also did a cool thing called the Florida Showcase, and they did that every day at the Winter Music Conference. And it was exactly what it sounded like. They got local DJs from Florida and featured them, which was cool because I saw a lot of guys I never heard of, and I got to get some contacts, which I could bring back to the nightclub. And then they had the USA tent, Progressive tent, and the, uh, I think, Space tent, which is it felt like you were at about to watch a space shuttle get launched into orbit. It was the relaxing, cool down. You could dance if you wanted to, but it was really just refresh, chill, talk. It was kind of like a, a lounge area. Now, all these tents aren't just like, hey, I'm having a graduation party and throwing a tent up. We're talking tents that covered 500 people, 600 people, 1,000 people, 2,000 people. I mean, these are huge. Cooling stations, bars, go-go cages, big screen TVs, sound machines. I mean, this was this was a 100% legit festival. Sorry, I had to take some coffee here. And so we're, we're leaving the hotel to go to our stage. We could not afford, obviously, our first time there being a sponsor of the big stage. I mean, I don't even know really what the cost would be for that. I didn't even bother looking at it. But we're talking probably $100,000 on a small scale. I mean, and if you wanted to be a main sponsor on a big stage, $500,000, six hundred. I, I don't know, a quarter million? I have no idea. Because I know how much it was for us to pay on the USA stage. And, when, and that's where we were. And our featured DJ on the USA stage, or the USA tent, was DJ Irene. Now, DJ Irene was a big rave DJ. She preferred underground. Now, for some of you that are listening that have no idea what a rave is, a rave is a party, typically at a secret location or a well-known location that's put on, it's like a, okay, think of a pop-up restaurant. It's only there for a little bit and then it moves on. Most of the times you got to know somebody that knows somebody to get in. I mean, I've been to raves where 
I've gotten directions. I've gotten a secret password. I got a stamp on my hand. And then I met somebody at a gas station to get the real directions to go to this party. Because you're not supposed to be in these warehouses. It's warehouses, abandoned buildings, open fields. I've been to raves that have been busted up. I've been to raves that, you know, I wish I never went to. Um, ton of raves in Detroit. And then there's the legal raves, of course. But DJ Irene preferred to throw those parties on because she didn't really like getting booked at clubs. Uh, she'd produce albums and, and stuff like that. And she would work in Chicago, sometimes L.A., New York, Philly, like Pittsburgh and Philly. Sometimes in Canada, Detroit, obviously. And she'd work at our club, Blue. She was cool, but she was very much particular on where she liked to perform. So to get her to come to this winter music conference, because she had been there. She has been there longer than I have, but she never performed on one of the stages. She always performed at a rave or an after party. So to get her to perform on the USA stage with guys like Mark Schultz, uh, Liquid Food, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. I think Storm was there. Dwayne King, um, to get her to perform on that was a big deal. But she performed at Blue all the time, so she did it as a favor. Now, we had to pay her, of course. But the USA stage, or USA tent, for us to sponsor that was $30,000. <laughs> now, I didn't just give them $30,000. That came out of the club. But we sponsored it all weekend. And we got a really good deal because we were the first time. I can tell you the next time they hit us up for fifty. Um, and we did it two years in a row before we started throwing our own parties at different hotels and all that. So we did that and we handed out. I, I mean, when she went on stage and she kicked off the USA stage because she had a rave that night. So we're out there in the sun. I think she kicked it off around 11 a.m. And she did like an hour and a half set. And then it just went nonstop. And our stage shut down. 2 a.m. or 3 a.m.? I think 3 a.m. the first night, if I'm not mistaken. And we took breaks in between and just played music and all that. And we weren't at our stage the whole time. We bounced everywhere. I mean, we went to five different stages in one day. And then the next day, we spent most of the time at the USA stage because the first half, Miss Detroit wanted to dance on the stage and all that. But it was one of the coolest experiences I ever had. I was exhausted on the way home, completely exhausted. Now, when we went back the next year, we had a little more feel for what we were doing, a little more money to spend. We also booked several DJs from the previous year to come tour up at Blue and come tour with us, you know, when we did our little pop-ups and all that. We had some great contacts in Florida. Second year, we did the USA stage again. And it was like a reunion. You just met, you just saw the people all over again. Now, there wasn't, there was new people there, new DJs, new guests, but there was those people that you just became so tight with. They knew you were coming back to WMC every year. It wasn't until the third year that I got a little bit of trouble when we started to do our own parties. We had a rooftop party. <laughs> and we had all these VIP tents set up. My cousin was there, actually. Um, 
we had a falling out. Uh, you know, I talk about that in my book. So some of these things kind of cross mojinate into the book I'm writing. I don't want to give them away. So I just got to buy the book whenever I can get off my ass and finally commit to getting that published. I'm having like writer's fear. But anyway, um, it's coming, guys. I promise you. This year, I said this year. I said January. I should have never said that. I was overzealous. I'm always overzealous about stuff, though. I'm like, yeah, we're going to do this. And then I don't have a realistic timeline of just how much is on my plate. Um, I, need, I need somebody to, to put me in check or to be like my assistant. So if you know any girls out there that want to be my assistant, I say girls because I don't, I don't really like guys. I don't really like girls either. I don't like anybody, but um, I'm kidding. Uh, so <laughs> we put on these parties and you could get a cabana because we had all these... We were on the roof and there was the main pool that we were not allowed to go to. We were not allowed to partake in because that was already booked. But they had all these little, they called them, what do they call them? God, I almost said Aquafina, but that's freaking water. What? It was like, not ponds, but like lagoons. We'll say lagoons. They had all these little lagoons, which are basically like small hot tub sized pools in the ground that you could go chill in. Now, our event was a dress to impress event when it started because we wanted to have the vendors there. We wanted to have some of the big wigs there so I can make the connections. But as the night went on, we opened it up to the public. Now we were only allowed to have 200 people up there because we had a small section of the roof. So we had 200 people up there. And I remember the minute that it went from shaking hands and kissing babies to clothes coming off, jumping in the pool, girls that were wearing $500 outfits were now in their bikinis or bra and panties or nothing. I don't think there was anybody naked, but I don't remember. And the party got lit up. So we had my boy back from Detroit down there. That he used to perform at Blue all the time. He was a house DJ, but he was phenomenal. Um, and his name was Mike Check. I know, real original, right? It was DJ Mike, but he was Mike Check. His last name, it's like Checko something, whatever. I never know. I just called him Mike Check all the time. And I knew him for like, I still know him, but I don't talk to him anymore. But he was in my life for like six, seven years. Um, so he blew up Miami. I mean, just blew it up on the roof. People were going nuts. I had people literally that had just dropped two grand on a bar tab. $300 shoes. Sitting in a pool with their shoes on. It was nuts. And, and I just remember sitting here saying... This is how it's supposed to be. We made it. And we did these parties because I charge people to rent one of those cabanas. I charge people a minimum $1,000. Now, that money didn't go, go to my pocket. Did I make a little off that? Yeah, we made some money. But that money went back into the club, went back in to cover the costs. Went... Overall, it wasn't about making money. It was about making an impact. I didn't lose any of my personal money except for the money I blew on nonsense. But it was about making an impact and making the world know who we were in Detroit. And I was just a little guy. 
I was not the only club there in Detroit. I was not the only people there from Detroit. There's some big, big names there. I'm a little guy, you know? Um, but that night turned into morning. I told Miss Detroit I'd take her to breakfast. So we went to breakfast, just the two of us. We got away from the, the festival. And we took a break from the festival. Go do our thing. I have to tell you what we had to do, but we did our thing. And then we would, would walk up and down the beach and went and saw... We didn't really do the touristy stuff. I mean, I guess everything was touristy. But we went and got some food. Uh, of course, we had to eat some Cuban sandwiches. I mean, you just don't go there. You just don't go without getting a Cuban sandwich. I mean, there's certain things that you do in certain places. You know, you go to Chicago, you get... Uh, Chicago pizza or Chicago dog, Chicago beef. You go to Detroit, you get Lafayette Coney Island. I guess you go to Texas, you get barbecue. You go to Philly, you get a Philly cheesesteak. You know, those things are okay. You you can do that. I mean, you're supposed to do that. Um, but we went to Old Havana's uh, Cuban Bar and Grill. It's in, uh, I think it's on 8th Street. And um, it is, I mean... You can find food trucks and carts and 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 all those places. You know, mom pops. It's like finding like a, it's like finding a bur a burger. You know, there's some great bars out there that you walk in. They look like you could stick on the floor, but they got some of the best burgers in the world. This place isn't like that. It's a great. It's got killer service. Killer. The prices are good. The roast pork is good. Um, I met the owner. They, I don't know if they're still open. I sure hope so. Um, I don't see why not. But Old Havana's Cuban Bar and uh, Cuban Bar and Grill, or Cuban Bar and whatever they call it. I don't know. I got to tell you something. We fell in love with that place. I mean, here I am in Miami, sitting there drinking a mojito. Because the only time you ever drink a mojito is when you're on vacation in a, around a beach. Because they know they're going to make them. Never, ever, from, from a bartender, and I talk about this in my, in my book too. I'll give you this little tidbit. Never order a mojito from somebody. 86 mojitos. I used to have a, a hoodie that said 86 mojitos on it. And a barkey. Um, because they're the most pain-in-the-butt things to make. They take forever. And ultimately, if, if you're getting a mojito in Michigan unless it's a specific place, they're not making them right. They're, they're, they're just doing it fast. But you go to Miami, Florida, any part of Florida, California, Jamaica, you know, whatever, any place with water that's tropical like that, you can go ahead and get a mojito. Plus, I'm in a Cuban restaurant. So, of course, I'm going to get a mojito. And the freaking mojito was, oh, my God. I drank like five of them. I mean, it's hot here. They go down easy. Oh, my God. I think even Miss Detroit had a couple, if I'm not mistaken. But we probably spent a good two hours there. And the pricing is great. I mean, I'm telling you right now, the pricing is not bad at all. And they tell you about the different, you know, hot-pressed Cuban sandwiches or that they make. And then they make all kinds of other stuff. Um, you know, you pay like 10 bucks, $11 for, you know, ham, sliced, roast pork. Cheese, pickles, mustard, and they press it on the Cuban bread. I, oh, God. I'm getting excited just thinking about it. I don't even get excited about food. 
I got to get a freaking Cuban sandwich soon, man. There's a food truck around here that does it. I got to go without Luke because he's not going to like it. But man, I just want to go get a Cuban sandwich. Take me back to these days. Anyway, I wonder if I can get a tan while eating a Cuban sandwich. Make me, you know, make me feel like I'm somewhere else. But we hung out there, had a great time. We actually spent most of the day and, and night away from the festival. We went and saw it and hung out and we checked in with our people because at this point, we probably had 20, 30 people working with us. So I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to make a speech. Well, things started to turn wild. We met some people and the drinks started coming, the bottles started coming. Again, Natalie didn't... Uh, I said her name again. Son of a... Whatever. Miss Detroit didn't really drink much, but we're partying. We only had a day or two left, so she warned me. Calm down. You know, you got tomorrow. You got a big day. You know you're going to want to party before we have to go to bed and get back on the airplane. And I, I, I appreciate that. She put me in check. The next day was a big day. It was our blowout. We had to make sure everything was done by a certain time. We had to make sure that everybody was paid. We had to make sure that all the swag that we had that had the dates on it for the event was given out because that's the last thing you want to do. Like you bring swag back that has the date on it, you can't use it again. I mean, I guess you could give it away in like party bags for the remainder of the year, but it also looks like you failed. So I made sure that everybody got rid of every single flyer, every single shirt, every single hat, everything, koozies, uh, everything, keychains, gone. And we ended the night with DJ Rap, which was a, a friend of mine um, from Chicago. Now she's not really a friend, but um, acquaintance of mine. And we ended the night with her, and she crushed it. I mean, two hours set, an eh, hour forty-five minutes. I mean, it was an emotional roller coaster. Plus, you're spent after spending all this time there. Wrap it up. We go get a couple drinks. Mr. Troy tells me, hey, I'm going, I'm going to call it a night. We got to fly out. We didn't have an early flight, but she wanted to get some sleep. I said, I'm not going to bed. I got to tell me what to do. I'm not going to bed. So I'm going to go hang out. And that's what I did. I just went and started hanging out. I started stopping by different pools where some music was still going, went to the bars, ran into some people, you know, bought some drinks, got some snacks, and I just wanted to go look at the ocean again. So I walked down to the beach along my way, made a couple stops, and just kept walking. And it was beautiful. I saw some sort of fish jumping out of the water. Um, Not sure what it was. Uh, Sharks jumping out of it. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not sure what it was. Um, looked at the stars. I mean, it was just it was just great. I, me- I remember sitting there just staring, thinking to myself like I could finally breathe a sigh of relief that this whole thing was over. And just staring out into the ocean and watching the waves come in and the moon, the reflection of the moon kind of just dance along the ocean. And every now and then you'd hear something in the water you know, way far out there. You didn't know if it was a wave or a, an animal eating, you know. Occasional bird would fly by. Occasional, you know, person would walk by. And I just walked further and further and further. Well, as I walked down, I started to get out of population 
The building started to get darker. I was further away from the hotels. They were behind me. And I realized, I don't know where I am. I mean, hypothetically speaking, I'm on the beach. I mean, not hypothetically, I am on the beach. But I should just be able to turn around and walk right back to my hotel. Well, I didn't see my hotel, or or I guess I just walked too far. I have no idea. (laughs) And nobody was calling me. You know, I'm an adult. Well, I thought I was anyway. And nobody cared. God, I got a headache this morning. Um, I don't know. I just woke up with this headache. It's killing me. It's been nonstop. I hate that. Um, Anyway, I'm going to say um one more time, too, just to fill that space. But so I'm walking, and I'm like, you know what? I, I should probably get back. So I'm going to take the street back because I'm familiar. You know, everything looks the same on the ocean. But I, I, I'm going to walk up to the street and see what I recognize, what street I'm on. Most likely I'm on the same street because there's one main street that goes down. But it does kind of turn a little. And I look at the buildings as I'm walking up. And I'm like, God, this beach is further away than I thought from those buildings. And all I see is like industrial warehousing, you know, like warehousing, storage, industrial buildings. Some of them have random names on them. I don't know. I'm like, what the heck? This is not what I thought it was. So we walk or I walk up there and it's dark. There's some street lights on, but it's not the well-lit Miami. And I'm walking towards a sign shows the speed limit and all that. And I see the purple dot on the sign. It says the street name with a purple dot. And if you remember, they color code Miami for crime. Purple dot is not where I want to be. And I'm like, son of a... Oh, this is not good. I hear things, you know, cars in the background, whatever. In the distance, I should say. I don't see any. So I decide I'm going to walk back. To the beach, safer. As I'm walking, turn around and walk back to the beach. Some guys, about three or four of them in the distance, start talking. And they're looking at me. Now, I can't really make out faces, but they can see me. They know I'm there. And I'm like, great, this is not a good situation. Um, So I'm looking and I'm like, what do I do? Now, I've been in the cities before. And I've been in bad situation. But it doesn't mean I want to be in a bad situation in Miami. And I definitely don't want to be in a bad situation in the purple section of Miami. Let alone by myself. In an area that clearly I shouldn't be in. So I start, you know, very calmly walking back to the beach. I go down like the side of a building and I can't get to the beach. There's a fence. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. (sighs) So I turn around and go back to the street. Well, at this point, I'm making a scene and these guys have moved closer to my destination or at least where I am, not my destination, to where I'm standing. And I got two choices. I can hide, which... Doesn't seem like a logical choice. I guess I got three choices. 
I can walk towards those guys and not even worry about it, act like I know where I'm going, which doesn't seem safe. Or I can keep trying to find a way to the beach, but then if the guys trap me on the beach, I don't really have anywhere to run unless I run in the ocean and swim. And I'm thinking the worst because it probably is the worst. It's not a good situation. And I hear him talking and I'm like, yeah, they're Cuban. You know, I mean, Miami's got like 1.2 million people that are, have some sort of Cuban heritage in, in Miami. And I don't care. I mean, I'm not, it's, it's not a racist thing against Cuban. I'm just telling you what it is. Um, I just ate a freaking Cuban sandwich and I love it. Um, and I got a bunch of Cuban friends. I mean, not up here, but in Miami I did. Um, so I'm like, you know what? I got to get to the beach. I got to get, I got to get somewhere where I can walk and I got potential to see them if they come at me and hide. That's my logic. And I've also been drunk. Mind you, I've been drinking. Yes, I've been walking, but it's lingering. Well, then I hear car tires screech and I'm like, oh God, this isn't good. So I'm thinking it's more of their people. I see a car behind me and I'm like, great. I got a car behind me and I got people. This car barrels up next to me, door opens, chicks in front, two guys in the back. And I'm like, it's over. It's over. And the guys are yelling at me. I can't understand what they're saying. The chick's like, you need to get in the car now. And I'm like, what? what? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. No, you need to get in the car. And I look and the guys are walking further towards me. I can start to see what they're wearing now. She's like, get in the car unless you want to die. So I jumped in. And I'm like, two things are going to happen. I'm safe or they're going to kill me. And either way, it was over. And what, I guess I died in Miami. And nobody's ever going to find my body. I'm now going to be in the ocean as shark feces. She spins around, goes a different direction. Not the way the guys were going. She tells the guys in the back to shut up. She's talking to me. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'm like, oh, I'm just walking. I was hanging out. I was over here. You realize how far you are? You're not supposed to be here. You know those guys would have jacked you and took everything you had. I was like, well, I don't have anything. She was like, well, they would have killed you. And I was like, what? She's like, this is not a place you need to be. At all. She's like, you don't need to be here. She's like, let me tell you what. And she's, she's got a heavy, heavy accent. I mean, she's, she's Cuban. She's like, there's gang members. She's like, this is their area. We don't even need to be here. But we, you know, we, we belong here. And she tells me everything. And I'm like, oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. And I was like, well, I don't know, man. Thanks. And I, and so I tell her, we start talking word. you know, I'm thinking she's just going to drive me away. You know, like drive me somewhere else. I didn't think she was going to drive me all the way back to my hotel. And she did. And I gave her a couple dollars because that's all I had. She's like, get out of here. She's like, I'm not going to see somebody get killed. And I'm like, well, thank you, Lord. So I'm like, hey, you want to hang out? Like all you guys? No, we don't hang out here. We don't belong here. I was like, well, you're with me. You belong here. So they decide to hang out with me. We go to a bar. You know, smart man would just go to bed. We go to a bar. We're hanging out. We meet people. We go to another hotel to go to their hotel room and hang out. I walked into their hotel room and they had a, they had a not a refrigerator, a bathtub full of beers, bottles of beer, like crappy stuff like Corona and all that, but whatever. 
I partied with them. Drank, 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 drank. I feel like I've told this story so many times lately. I wake up in the morning. <laughs> I'm at this hotel. Got a guy drinking coffee or something. Got a girl sleeping in bed. My, my, my Cuban protectors are gone. And I'm like, what time is it? Uh, it's like 1030, bro. Ah, oh, shoot. I got to go. I look at my phone. I probably have 35 missed calls and like 20 messages from Miss Detroit. Where you at? Just want to make sure you're okay. Hey, don't forget, you know, we got to leave. Hey, I'm worried now. Hey, will you answer the phone to what the bleepity bleep dropping F-bombs to? Okay, I left the key in the hotel. I got my stuff. I really hope you make it back. Bye. Hangs up. And I'm like, shoot. I got to catch my plane. I had to go back. I had to catch a cab, go back to my hotel, get up in the hotel, get my stuff together, get the keys, check out, get on another cab, go back to the airport. And it's not hard to get a cab. It's not hard to get a cab in, in Miami so I can fly back to Detroit. But again, this is not like the Uber days and Lyft days. I get on there. I get through the airport. Again, the airport's not difficult. No masks, no pat-downs. You know, easy to get through. I check one of my bags. I bring my other bag. And they're like, dude, your flight is leaving. I'm running through the airport like home freaking alone, okay? I'm booking through the airport. <laughs> Still feeling pretty hungover and gross. No coffee, no food, nothing. I get, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I think I, I don't think I showered. I think I just brushed, I don't even think I brushed my teeth. I just threw clothes on. Because I didn't want to wear what I wore like, you know, the day before. I get on the plane, people are laughing. The flight attendant's like, you just made it. Like, seriously, like we're leaving. And I'm like, oh my God, Miami. And I just said that and people are laughing. And I'm walking back. Well, there's some face that is not laughing. And she's staring at me. And I'm like, hey, I got to tell you what happened. And she's like, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to bed. She put her headphones on. She didn't talk to me the whole flight. She didn't talk to me the whole flight. She didn't talk to me the whole car ride home. She didn't talk to me that night. Matter of fact, she didn't even stay with me that night. She left. I don't think I've ever seen her so mad. It was like a week later before I even told her what happened. And for the longest time that we dated, you could not bring that up. But here's the funny thing. We went back to Miami one more time. <laughs> we, went the, we went back to Miami one more time and I did not go to the purple area and I did not get in trouble by her. And then I never went back again. And we didn't go that long. We went for like two and a half days. Um, I didn't get back together. We, we broke up. Um, not because of Miami. Uh, just other stuff. And it was just... Uh, I'll never forget walking down that street and hearing that car. But the thing is, out of all those things that have happened, and there's so many more stories, I could do a, a month-long podcast on stories from Miami. Um, but it was still one of the best experiences of my life. And I'll never go back to the Winter Music Conference. I don't have a desire. You know, if I want to go see a DJ, I'll go to a local club. And I don't even know if I want to do that. I like the music, but I just, it's not my thing. 
42. I'm not saying 42 is old. I just don't think I have a desire to go anymore. I listen to it sometimes. I've been listening to it before I did this podcast. But, but being in Miami and experiencing that moment in my life was awesome. Forget the drinking and all that. Just being there, over 100,000 people, you've got a banner up with your club's name on it. You're throwing parties on a rooftop. You're meeting some of the best world-renowned DJs, producers, and I mean, just that, that you could ever dream of. Club promoters that have promoted some of the hottest clubs in history from all across the world. England, I mean, Europe, you know, Africa. Like, seriously, I'm a club promoter from Africa. You know, it, it, it was larger than life. And, it, and I was part of something at a very young age that was larger than life. I mean, I'm paying DJs $2,000, $3,000. I'm having cash in an account that I could take out for, you know, $5,000. There's a lot of people, mostly my, my family, actually some of my family knows about that. Not that I was hiding it from them, I just never told them what I did. I was in a different, different mindset back then. They had no idea I was in Miami for, for a week or so. I never told him. <laughs> Stupid, but anyway. So there you go. Now, to hear the rest of it and, and how that ties into to my life behind bars, you can check out the book, The Life of an Average Joe, My Life Behind Bars, coming out very, very soon. I'm trying, guys. I'm struggling a lot. You know, I've got, I've got everything set up. I'm just... I'm rereading it now, and, and I've had to go back and make changes for legalities again. And uh, it's going to be out there, though. And, and once it does, I think the I think everybody will, will enjoy it that reads it. So, uh, should have been out years ago, but I, I, you know, lots changed since then. This is the year, though. This is the year. So, plus my nonprofit, Save Us Don't Slave Us, has taken up a lot of time just to get that off the ground. Once it gets going even more, I'll feel better about it. But the early stages are difficult. It's not easy. So so there's a little taste of Miami. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Check out some of those DJs. I'll post some pictures on uh, Instagram, on the Life of an Average Joe podcast. You can check it out on Instagram. We have some behind-the-scenes footage that we do, uh, different interviews, clips, pictures, promo stuff, some of my other podcast links and all that. So I would really love for you guys to review uh, the podcast too. I mean, not just this episode, but the whole thing. Let me know what you think. I mean, give me some some ratings on Apple Podcast. Give me a subscribe if you want. Uh, just listen though. You know, feedback is more important to me than subscribing. If you can listen and, and just give me some feedback on and whether that's through an email or comment or rating, that would be awesome. All right, guys. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon as we're getting ready to wrap up this season. Uh, Very excited. And uh, we'll see you uh, next time. Later.